0: They want to ship something. Yeah. This uh, autonomy needs a win. Yeah. So we
1: are we are that winning bet. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. I am so excited to share today's episode with you. If you enjoyed our past interviews with self-driving car entrepreneur Brian Sileski, or roboticist Jürgen Pedersen, then you are going to love this interview with Chetan Mericli. Chetan leads a team called Locomation. Locomation is building autonomous vehicles like many, many other hyped-up companies around the country and the globe. The difference is that Chetan is not only focusing on semi-trailer trucks, but he is also taking a novel approach pairing two trucks together so that human intuition and skills can take a primary seat as the technology gets developed, and he believes that this route will not only lead the company to deliver a commercialized solution sooner, but also garner the support and approval of regulators that are hesitant to approve a self-driving, fully autonomous semi-truck on the open road. In this conversation, you'll hear me speak to Chetan about how he sells to four key groups in order to make this company a reality, and the promise that he believes is held in this technology and how it will unlock enormous amounts of value for all the parties involved. I learned a ton. I know you're about to as well. So here is Chetan Marichli. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Chetan, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be speaking with you. I'm excited too. I want to start off making this really accessible for folks that might not be technical, that might not be familiar with how autonomous, even even computer programming might particularly work. You have a long background in robotics, computer engineering, that's prepared you to lead Locomation today. But to start things off, there's a lot of hype around autonomous vehicles, and you've kind of developed a novel approach to not only building this technology, but bringing it into the world practically so it can be applied. Can you explain how that works to the audience?
0: Um, As you said, uh, myself and my co-founders, we go really back in developing autonomous vehicles and in our exposure to autonomous vehicles. And throughout all these years, we've been working on different flavors of self-driving vehicles, sometimes for the military, sometimes for other commercial applications, we've got to observe the real challenges and real opportunities around autonomy. And when we decided to launch Locomation, we wanted to make sure that we are focusing on a problem that we can actually build a product for. So instead of developing a general purpose solution in, in a, like a sledgehammer and looking for nails for that, we wanted to start with the problem and shoehorn what's available in terms of science and technology today into that and our vast experience in the field enables us to look at the problem with that perspective and craft it uh, in a narrow enough manner so that it can actually be built and tested.
1: And this solution involves basically bringing two trucks together as opposed to setting one out by itself and expecting it to be fully autonomous or have some high degree of autonomy. There, There's a partnership, a union happening between the two vehicles that allows this to kind of be a more piecemeal, accessible first step.
0: That's, that's exactly uh, the case. When we were uh, focusing on the problem definition, we identified, okay, so you can demonstrate completely self-driving trucks today but it is when it comes to making it actually a product the reliability the maturity of the technology these are very very hard problems to make sure that a projectile of 40 tons going at 70 miles an hour is actually bulletproof in in the most literal sense and there will be no mishaps whatsoever so instead of focusing on that part this soon we decided to still build a fully autonomous truck but then hide that truck behind another truck driven by a human. In other words, as you said, bundling two trucks together, keeping a driver in the front truck to serve as the eyes and the ears and all the smarts of the convoy. And make the second truck fully autonomous, but at the same time limiting its responsibility to just stay behind the leader and follow the leader. Right. That all of a sudden transforms the entire autonomy problem into something that you can actually chew and uh, that you can actually build a
1: product around
0: it and verify it for the safety and reliability required
1: by the regulations. Gotcha. Now, you talked about your co-founders. Mm-hmm. This is a co-founding team of five. And in the kind of broad spectrum of like meta startup patterns, one of the alarm bells that goes off is that's, that's a pretty large founding team. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of power behind that. If you, if you have a bunch of people pushing in the same direction, you can get somewhere pretty darn quick, but it's also a lot to manage. So talk a little bit about how this team came together to solve this specific problem.
0: The entire founding team and most of our technical team actually, uh, we go back to our Carnegie Mellon days. We've been working together, the founding team and some of the other team members for about a decade. And we've done many, many projects together in coherence, in harmony. So we really worked, we we are a really uh, well-oiled machine and uh, that operates based on facts based on respect and based on the proper coverage of the, the technical and the business areas the, with the right kind of uh, job split and responsibility split. So we don't know how to operate with each other. We've gone through a lot of uh, ups and downs. At the end, we still liked each other enough to start a company together. And now we are doing locomotion. So far, it's been going great. Everybody is contributing enormously. And uh, again, our collective experience enables us to move really, really fast with this vast amount of experience and uh, cover f- from the business all the way to the details of the technical part, the entire problem space at once. That's very, very hard if you are just one co-founder or just two. Yeah, Five of us really spread over the entire problem and we make sure that we are
1: containing everything and moving towards the right direction. And across any industry, across any focus, breaking something into accessible chunks at least makes it seem possible as opposed to being this colossus that's insurmountable. So can you talk a little bit about how those things break apart, whether that's hardware versus software, computer vision versus machine learning algorithm? What what areas does everyone take responsibility for?
0: Um, one advantage we have as the founding team is that each one of us have led multiple projects and we all have each one of us have uh, full coverage of the entire autonomy or robotics problem space so we all know motion we all know planning we all know computer vision we all know controls but we also have individual expertise areas some of us are really deep experts world-class experts in controls planning some of us are very very deep in um localization or mapping some of us are very very deep in perception and machine learning so we uh, have the breadth that can be covered by everybody and the depth that some of us are a little bit deeper than the others and that uh, flexibility also enables us to pass so whoever has more cycles or which task has more priority we get to reshuffle among ourselves and we pay the right kind of attention to that kind of task, but we don't have to just declare, okay, so Chitin is doing computer vision and Tikin is doing planning. There's no rigid assignments like that. We, all five co-founders, we look at the entire picture all the time and we shuffle and take turns Mm -hmm. attending to different parts of the problem, depending on what that part of the problem at that time requires.
1: Gotcha. Now one of the other questions that i had is about these early stages of a company the team started coming together in late summer early fall of last year and one of the things that you accomplished very early on was uh securing fundraising. And that's you know, you know, people talk about that in the Pittsburgh startup ecosystem landscape, but even broader, that's just a challenge that many founders who go down that route run into. And in something like a, a B2B SaaS startup, there's kind of predetermined metrics. You gotta have your MVP, you gotta prove that there's some customers, maybe then you get a seed, then you have to hit certain metrics before you can get an A. And there's a there's a playbook to some degree. But what we're really talking about is an emerging technology with the chance to fundamentally alter the core assumptions, the core ways of going about business, which makes market sizing and other elements like that challenging, but it also changes the impetus on the investor for when they have to get in and get excited. So can you talk a little bit about how you went around and solicited these investors if they came to you? I'm sure there's a a great degree to which if you're coming up with some interesting stuff in the CMU research department that there's there's a couple people knocking on doors and, and bopping around.
0: It's it's a mixed bag, as, as you said. Uh, we deliberately reached out to investors early on uh, that we know are or were inactive in the mobility area, had done uh, similar investments in the autonomy space, so uh, they would understand the A, the how hard of a problem is this, and B, what kind of opportunities we are looking at, and C, be able to Evaluate or assess the the credibility of the team and uh, understand that we actually are one of the few groups in the world who has a shot at this, Mm -hmm. really has the the chance of cracking it and getting it over the goal line. And we were very, very lucky. Uh, Very quickly, we established some very good relationships uh, with some key investors who really understood the space very, very deeply, both in the technical part and the business part. And that Kickstarted another uh, round of introductions, relevant investors. Before we know it, we were talking to dozens of people, mm-hmm. and in the end, we were very, very lucky. Still feel very fortunate to have have them. Uh, we have 13 investors in our seed round. Every single of them brings something unique to the table, either on the um, understanding of the t- transportation space, or in the business part, or in the scaling up and organization part. So ev- every w- one of them has something very unique and very valuable to bring on the table. And uh, we were very fortunate to have get the buy-in from them. They all believed in us. They still do. And so far we've been delivering. So um, their bets are, have been right so yeah. far. And uh, hopefully going forward, we will keep
1: with that momentum. What was it that you pointed to to convey to these investors that we were one of the groups that had a shot at solving this?
0: Our background at CMU really helped because uh, one of the big risks, so there is um, the team, you either invest in the team or in the market or in the technology itself. So we don't have the technology built because no one has, there are some demonstrations and the team has strong credentials and the credentials come uh, from the fact that we've actually built similar uh, projects for different purposes and different times. But at the end of the day, we've solved flavors of the problem that we are tackling now before. So gives a lot of confidence about we can solve it again, we can solve it in this context and in more
1: efficient and fast way and actually leapfrog the competition. Fascinating. Now, on the flip side of that, once you get that round of funding, once you came out of dark mode to to make this company public, there's this balance between we're in Pittsburgh, there's CMU, there's all this tech talent. Simultaneously, there is an enormous amount of competition for that tech talent whether it's the large Google's, Facebook's, whoever, or just the other technology startups that are bopping around, even the other self-driving autonomous vehicle companies that are in the area. How have you approached the problem of assembling the additional team around that core team who had this vision for what locomation could be?
0: Great question, and yes, it is very, very challenging because Pittsburgh is the the epicenter of self-driving industry. So um, anyone with a decent amount of experience is very handfully gains, uh, gainfully employed in one of our fellow, compi- not the exact competitor, but fellow other uh, self-driving companies, Argo, mm-hmm. Aurora, Uber, Aptiv. We have a really compelling story to tell that it's not just a made up story that we that's based on the facts we've been observing so far. And I think we've been successful in conveying that message that what we are doing is not for 20 years from now, What we are doing is two years from now, and we have a really unique, really valuable team already put together and we are moving with enormous speed. Come join us and be part of this. This is the first time we will deploy a substantial amount of autonomy as a product in a commercial setup on thousands and tens of thousands of trucks in just a handful of years. This is very compelling even to me, yeah? and uh, so far that's been really singing to the tunes of the uh, passionate people in the autonomy field people passionate about really bringing to the uh, over the goal line not just testing testing and testing that's gonna go for a handful of more years maybe a decade or so but going for a um, determined goal that is just a f- handful of years from now and we are every single day Every line of code, every new screw that we bolt in brings us a little bit closer to that goal. We are counting down from a known goal. That, I believe, is a is a very different um, feeling, and it resonates very differently, with, uh, especially with the people who are very experienced in the AV field, who have been doing this for a handful of years.
1: And they don't want to just
0: work in theory. They want to ship something. They want to ship something. Yeah. This uh, autonomy needs a win. Yeah. So we are... We are that winning bet. We believe that. Of course, we have to believe in that, yeah. but uh, this is genuine what we are communicating and that is resonating very
1: strongly. But it's clear, you know, listening to you, I'm sure people are watching you, to why you've been able to sell this vision. Like, the, like it's it's utterly apparent, not just in maybe the facts and the figures, but the passion and the energy and the belief that you have behind this.
0: That's, that's what keep us going every single day around the clock because we have a goal to meet. Yeah.
1: The Going Deep Podcast is underwritten by Piper Creative. Shooting, editing, and publishing quality content is overwhelming. We make it easy so you can save time, build your brand, and grow faster. Say hello at PiperCreative.co. We've talked about two groups that you've had to sell already. Employees to join the team and investors to kind of join the team in, in a different way, allocate some capital. There's actually two other entities that you have to sell regulators the people who decide whether or not this type of vehicle can be on the road and then customers clients people who are buying what it is that you're selling let's start with those clients customers mm-hmm. those that are buying talk us through the the business case for why this is such a viable alternative a viable option not not that i think people can wrap their minds around not paying a driver a Salary, but you, you kind of articulate something earlier about how even the model for how fast and far the vehicle can go changes with this technology. So there are a couple of
0: very high-level important messages that uh, we are conveying to to industry, not just uh, the direct customers, which are the uh, truck carrying uh, carrier companies, trucking companies. A, we are not competing with them. We are not becoming the next uh, truck carrier that is going to compete with them that's going to operate the autonomous trucks it's, we are we don't know how to operate fleets of thousands of trucks they do mm-hmm. we are just empowering them we are helping them bringing their asset utilization up so that they can get most out of their capital investments we are also not competing or eliminating c- competing with or eliminating drivers because there's already a driver shortage what we are building today just fits very nicely and filling in the space that's uh, the the Existing driver pool is unable to satisfy. We are helping drivers become more efficient and making the driving more comfortable and safer for them. As a result, of course, there is a huge commercial story to tell and we are paying a lot of attention to what it means for an existing business. We are not just building a technology nugget and just bringing it to the people saying that this is cool, use it. It's not like that. We are thinking from beginning to end we are uh, going and spending a lot of time with the uh, trucking companies, how they operate, how they dispatch, what are the problems they have today, how do they maintain their trucks, what we have to support in terms of uh, the technology, um, maintenance, installation, etc., so that they can actually adopt the technology and use it. So we look at the entire story there and just take their business model, inject our technology into it and bring it back to them. So there's uh, messages for all the stakeholders there. The the customers see uh, improved employee uh, satisfaction because the driving is much more comfortable now. The drivers have better lives. The bottom line, the commercial part, uh, the uh, cost per miles go down another 15, 20%, which is enormous extra profit margin in this industry. So that, again, that is another view of the story that resonates very, very strongly with the industry. Because also the industry is right now um, struggling with this historically low asset utilization. A semi-truck is about $150,000. Yeah. So you ideally would like to use that equipment 24 hours a day. And the industry average today is seven and a half hours. That's very low. So we are looking to actually push it back to 20, 22 hours range which is uh, very close to the ideal case. The uh, driver population, it's long-haul driving. We are talking about driving 1,000 miles, 1,500 miles in one stretch. Normally you have to either uh, divide it into two, three days of trips or you have to uh, go with another driver. You take turns in the same cab, being trapped in the same cab for days at a stretch. We are changing that entire comfort definition of it without changing the underlying business model, just doubling the capacity, doubling the delivery speed, more than doubling the comfort and safety and creating extra margin for that. So it's win, win, win for
1: whichever uh, stakeholder you go and ask that resonates very, very well. And I want to latch onto one of the kind of macro narratives or forces that are happening. It's like Amazon pushed an entire world of e-commerce to two day shipping. Now they're making their own one push day, into yeah. one-day shipping. And there are physical realities to making something like that happen. It's it's very different than how quickly does the tweet get out to the web once I hit send. We're talking about moving physical things yep. across the surface of the earth. So something like this greater utilization of the vehicle isn't just an economic model. This is the, the vehicle moving over 20 hours of the day versus significantly less than that
0: exactly um this is again if we just like uh, do a sneak peek into the future this is the way the world of the future will work in and it, that actually uh, expands into the global supply chain from manufacturing side to the, the warehousing and retail and how we consume because when you look at this room every single thing we see in this room spent considerable amount of time on a truck at some point so, there is nothing literally nothing that does not get through some sort of ground transportation. And ground transportation is about to become the bottleneck. In terms of availability, in terms of cost, in terms of delivery variance. This has to be addressed if we want to unlock the next level of retail or manufacturing. Today, most of the manufacturing plants, if you look at it that way, are uh, adopting lean manufacturing or lean inventory methods, which means they don't keep inventory. They have to receive the raw materials or the components maybe an hour before the components actually go onto assembly line and guess what delivers the components a truck. So all of a sudden you have, you have to deliver another truck every hour around the clock. And if you have to do that with the current way of doing trucking, heavily depending on the human um, drivers in a climate where human drivers are, the pool is depleting. That's not very sustainable. So, a disruption is needed, and that disruption is needed
1: now. And back to selling to these investors, when we talk about a total addressable market size, it's not when you think about the quantity and the scope, so let's use your example of a new truck arriving every single hour, there's a degree of predictability, there's a degree of consistency to that. And, you know, people will say something like, you hear grocery stores that have less than 2% margin on the food that they sell, and then you have a software company that has an 80% margin on the enterprise software that's being sold. And what we're not talking about here isn't necessarily on that high 80% range, but when we think about the scope and the scale of these logistics networks, even the 15% uh, margin that you, you mentioned earlier over the course of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of shipments occurring becomes an enormous value add for both you and your partners. I'm assuming, assuming I'm making more of the customer sale there.
0: Absolutely. Global uh, ground transportation is about $6 trillion a year. United States uh, this year, it is just a little bit shy of $800 billion a year. Traditionally, the profit margins in uh, ground transportation is 3 to 5%. And we are talking about creating another 15 to 20% margin there in a very short term. That amounts to over $100 billion of extra value that is to be distributed uh, among the current stakeholders. Of course, we are hoping that we'll get a healthy share of that part, but others, other people will get that too. Yeah. That is very exciting. And that's, again, the, from the investor point of view, that's a gold mine.
1: And so now moving on to that last sales entity that we need to address, the regulators, regulators. and we're not in a, a space where there is ubiquitous use adoption. Of any sort of self-driving autonomous vehicle, we we're in Pittsburgh, where a lot of the testing has been not completely deregulated, but the the barriers have come down significantly. However, when we're talking about like I, I remember there's some headline someone was someone died because of the misexecution of a self-driving car, I believe through Uber. The headlines that that gains the the outrage that that in, invokes. And now, as you mentioned, we're talking about a very large, very dangerous semi-trailer should something go wrong. Talk a little bit about the communication, the conversation with regulators, with those policymakers who are having to make that decision. Two,
0: again, uh, high-level comments about that. First is all the regulators we've been talking to both at the state level, including uh, Pennsylvania, DOT, and other states, and at the federal level, they are extremely helpful Extremely forward thinking and they would like to enable the deployment of autonomous vehicles uh, both in the commercial space like uh, trucks and in the passenger space they are not technical experts they are not safety experts experts in the safety and uh, systems engineering and autonomy fields have to work together with the uh, regulators to define what it means to be safe what it means to comply with the regulations what we should be regulating what we should be looking into and uh, as locomotion we are proud to be part of several activities going towards that direction we are working with a lot of both at the federal level and the state level working with the regulatory bodies Uh, we are also uh, part of the upcoming ul4600 safety standard we are participating in panels. I'm a guest of uh, Pennsylvania DOT in the upcoming PAAV summit talking about the impacts of uh, autonomous tracking in the platooning case in the, in the foreseeable future. So we are disseminating information. We are generating information. We are thinking about to set the bar high, very high for ourselves and for everybody else what it means to be safe. Because as I said and as you reiterated, we are talking about really big really fast really dangerous machines there is literally zero room for enemy sap so we need to take that very very seriously even more seriously than regular self-driving cars so far uh, the feedback and the enthusiasm and the collaboration from the regulatory bodies are phenomenal and uh, there is enormous momentum in the overall regulatory landscape to push it forward and uh, to really define solve this case once and for all and come up with clearly defined standards and hold everyone accountable to that there is still work to do but over the next two years or so two three years maybe i'm very very confident that uh, we will have a majority if not all of this regulatory questions about autonomous vehicles autonomous trucks particularly uh, will be solved That's exciting. That is very exciting. And again, the second part of my message is that what we are doing also serves that purpose. What we are doing is not intimidating people. It is much more palatable compared to uh, showing up one day and saying that, look, I built a 40-ton truck and there is no one in it and it's going to drive itself. Bringing that as the first step is very, very challenging from the regulatory bodies to make peace with that from the social acceptance point of view. Uh, What we are doing is we are still making uh, part of the tracking autonomous, but we are not eliminating the human supervision. We are still keeping the human as the last decision maker, which is the current way of uh, doing things. So we are not leaving the status quo. That uh, enables us to be progressive without uh, leaving the status quo completely. And that makes the entire regulatory part, social acceptance
1: part, industry acceptance part much more palatable. So... That all makes a ton of sense. And I think that we've done a really good job of articulating for folks the kind of sales job that's had to go on in in these four entities. I want to shift into day-to-day life in a company like this, because what you have the opportunity to to kind of pull the curtains back on for someone is you are in a team, in an organization that is taking square aim at multi-billion dollar eventual valuation of this company and not that it's all a dollars and cents calculation but we, we could also take it in the vein of um society changing technological impact either of those are immensely stirring immensely motivating for a majority of people And there's all sorts of, you know, kind of common standard tropes. Um, To get uncommon results, you have to give uncommon effort. Can can you give us a little bit of like tactical day-to-day, what it looks like to be a part of this team, what the expectations, what the standards are for someone trying to accomplish something so big?
0: Just like everything else in life, you have to strike a balance between extreme ants, so this is what we we are a deep tech company we are a tech company you can even say that some of our investors are from silicon valley so we also have that spirit in us but what we are doing is fundamentally different than an enterprise software company or uh, say snapchat what we are doing really touches the reality the physical world and we have that responsibility on our shoulders so we have to be safe we have to comply with the well-established systems engineering standards and safety standards but we are also not nasa we don't have 30 years and 400 billion dollars to to do this yeah. so we have to strike a balance between being agile being a technology company and building to- an automotive product uh, complying with the standards testing the hell out of our system making sure that it's airtight there is no room for any mistakes etc so our day-to-day operational and maybe even a little bit tactical how to say dedication or the the commitment is to always figure out which way to lean in there are parts that you can and should go more agile there are parts you really should take your time and the wisdom and experience and the struggle in making that decision is usually to decide which day we are in the responsibility is too high because again there's no room for mistake the excitement is through the roof because we are revolutionizing an industry and there is all kind of rewarding consequences that are waiting for us if we can execute it well. Not being carried by those excitement and overlooking the safety part, not being in the rabbit hole of overly doing something and not moving agile enough is what we have to balance every single day and most of our time is actually, sp- as the founders, especially the founders, spent on strategizing which ways we are in, which parts of the system we are going to do agile, which parts of of the system we are just sticking with our traditional methods.
1: Yeah. So that's um, that's a very really interesting feeling. Yeah, and I, I want to just even further put more put more clarity around that for listeners. Is we're here. It's 6:40 p.m. Um, when we came in to kind of grab you away from, you know, drag you away from your computer to make us show us the trucks for a little bit and then conduct this interview, it was a full office of people. Everyone was in the zone and, you know, maybe one of them was on Snapchat or Facebook, but I get the the feeling that a lot of people were continuing to kind of head down, get doing what they're doing. And I think that that, you know, outside of the opportunity, outside of the just kind of realities of where you are at that point in time, there's a degree of leadership that has to come from you and the other co-founders that, you know, we're we're pushing a pace, a specific pace here, because we're really on to something special. And that's partially articulated explicitly and sometimes just implicitly like, hey, I'm still here, I'm still grinding. It is it is mostly implicitly.
0: Okay. And that's that's a uh, very um proud feeling that I have to travel a lot. So today is kind of an exception i was actually sitting on my chair and believe it or not i was writing code which does not happen that often unfortunately anymore uh but today is one of those like, happy days but uh, i have to travel a lot and most of the other co-founders we have to keep the uh, keep the ship afloat so there's a lot of other things that we have to pay attention to but now uh i can proudly say that we were able to build the machine that the machine is actually building the rest of the the, the future And everybody is not just experienced, but they are phenomenally professional people. Everybody knows what we are uh, working towards and everybody is equally excited. They work really hard. Having said that, we also encourage and uh, constantly reiterate that this is not a sprint. We are constantly working towards the next deadline, which is usually a couple of weeks from from today but this is not a couple of weeks of effort. We are in it for the longer term and uh, we don't want anyone, including ourselves, to, to, to burn out. Right. So taking care of yourself, spending time with family, taking vacation days, whenever and however long you may need, is over anything else. So um, everybody still goes home, nobody pulls all-nighters, strongly discouraged. Everybody goes home, has dinner with family, everybody takes vacation days, a week, two weeks, a couple of weeks, a year, however much you need. And we uh, juggle the rest of the schedule around that. So we are trying to uh, to prioritize work-life balance to the extent that we really don't want any of us, not just founders or the, the rest of the team, any of us to really burn out. I wake up every day and I can't wait to be in the office. Yeah.
1: And I really want that to last for However long this journey is. Yeah. And I think that's such an important point. Hannah and I are co-founders of Piper. And there's like a, I don't know, at least a notion that I had before starting Piper. But I just think in general, from an outsider's perspective, it's like, won't it be so cool once you get there? You realize the whole business uh, market opportunity here. Won't that be great? And what I just, it, 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 it oozes off of you from like the moment that we got here from the first minute. But that like energy of, doing the actual building, doing the actual work, and how tremendously enjoyable that can be.
0: Absolutely. We, I mean, we, we are builders. Uh, all of us uh, come from the academic background, but we were never just pure academics with I don't know, lab coats and the chalk and the, the blackboard type. Yeah. We've always been in the dirt, in the mud, with hands, building, building systems, struggling, hitting walls and then taking a step back and attacking again until we crack the problem. One problem after the other. And this is exactly the the atmosphere that we have today. We are facing an enormously challenging problem that does not discourage us. That does not uh, drop our shoulders. We just re-energize and come back tomorrow and keep pondering. And that is an unbelievably satisfying feeling. Yeah, it's hard to
1: explain. It's very hard to explain. Yeah. Well, Chetan, this has been fantastic. I'm excited to continue to watch everything that you're up to with Locomation. For those that want to follow along, learn more about what you guys are up to, what digital coordinates can we provide to connect with you and the team?
0: I think the, uh, the two main venues, our website, look at https colon slash slash locomation.ai and our Twitter handle, Locomation AI, are the main venues. It's hard to spell it, but it's very easy to find on LinkedIn. Our LinkedIn uh, company page is also very active. For myself, my LinkedIn page is also uh, active and my Twitter handle is uh, C-M-E-R-I-C-L-I, my initial and my surname. Again, if you uh, search for Chetan Merishlu on Twitter, you can find me. We are trying to uh, keep the the pages really, really active. It's very hard to take time and uh, bandwidth from the actual technical work and keep everything up to date but we also feel responsible towards that so going forward we will be even uh, we will be updating the pages even even more frequently so I, I encourage people to follow us also on YouTube we have uh, the locomation uh, channel look out for that over the next couple of weeks we will have some
1: exciting videos being made public there. I can't wait for those to drop. We're going to link all that in the show notes for this episode so that people can find them. It's either in the podcast app. We are probably listening to this right now or at goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast for this and every episode of the so- of the show. Sheesh. But as we do at the end of each interview, Chetna, I'm going to give you the mic one more time to issue an actionable personal challenge for the audience. Try to give back whatever that means for you because all of us are
0: products of People surrounding us or organizations grooming us, etc. cetera. We've, we couldn't be, have become who we are today without the help of others. Just when you wake up every morning, realize that and look out for ways of helping others, however the way you see fit.
1: Beautiful. You mentioned... Before we turn on the recording, that November will be the 10 year anniversary of you coming to the States, coming to Pittsburgh. Who or can you tell me a story about someone that helped to make you feel welcome when you were new to the country?
0: Uh, I first came in in the middle of my PhD studies as a visiting researcher to Professor Manuela Veloso's lab uh, at Carnegie Mellon. And Manuela has been a very formative figure in my life. She then became my PhD uh, co-supervisor and then my uh, postdoc advisor. And since then, she she groomed me both technically and professionally. She is now in uh, New York heading the uh, AI division of JP Morgan, a phenomenal character. Her and her hospitality, her giving back mantra uh, really made a big difference in me as well as my former lab mates, my neighbors, my friends. I made friends, so when I first moved here, I didn't know anyone. Everybody really, really welcomed me. I got my very first Thanksgiving dinner here. I got my very first, I I got to cook turkey for the Thanksgiving uh, the the year after that, and got the newcomers uh, on my place. So we've had that tradition going on since then. So that's, I would like to thank the entire, uh, my former lab mates, former uh, Carnegie Mellon uh, colleagues, and first and foremost to, to Manuela Veloso.
1: Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you uh, so much for making the time to speak with thank us. Thank you. That's, that's, been a, um, that's been an honor and a deep pleasure for me. Beautiful. Thank you everyone out there for listening. I appreciate your attention. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end of this interview with Chetan. We have two other great interviews linked in the show notes for this episode. I encourage you to check those out and hit subscribe so that you do not miss any future episodes of the show. To pair nicely with the interview that you just heard, I interviewed one of the most successful CEOs and business owners in the logistics space here in Western Pennsylvania. She was a fascinating and captivating guest. The full interview comes out next week, but here is a taste of that conversation. I've always had a goal to hit $100 I never thought we would. It looks like we might hit that maybe in the next couple years. Um, Who knows? There's not a lot of companies that make it to that point. So... I'm very animated and enthusiastic to keep going and keep growing. Um, I think we have a good thing here. We have a very good name out in the industry. You know, I work with a lot of people that worked with my dad, and they're just absolutely shocked that we've been able to do what we do and compete against these big companies that are out there. So I almost feel like I have a point to prove because at the end of the day, I'm in a male-dominated industry. um, And that's another big thing that we talk about because when I am meeting with the railroads, I'm like usually the only woman in the room of 100 people still to this day. So I feel like I still have a mission to keep going as long as I can, um, as long as we can continue to make money and compete. Um I want to be here as long as I can. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.